Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Dialogue Out Loud series. I'm Taylor Petrie, editor of Dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought. Today, we're excited to have with us Eliza Wells, a feminist ethicist who is a PhD candidate in philosophy at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and who holds a master's in religious studies from Stanford. In her fascinating article, quoted at the pulpit, Male Rhetoric and Female Authority in 50 Years of General Conference, Eliza analyzes the language used in general conference talks given by male and female leaders of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from 1971 to 2020. Eliza finds that while women are now more represented in general conference talks than they were in the past, their words are still often overshadowed by the words of men. She also notes that the language used in general conference talks reflects and reinforces gendered power dynamics within the church. Join us as we chat with Eliza about her research and the implications of her work for understanding the relationships of gendered dynamics in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Eliza, welcome. It's so nice to talk to you about your research. Thank you so much. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your research and what motivated you to study the citational practices uh, used in general conference talks? So I was reading general conference talks interested in how women are talked about because we often spend a lot of time in feminist spaces trying to elevate women's voices and pay more attention to what women have said. But for an ordinary member of the church, it's actually what men say that has the most impact and that takes up the most space in your lived experience. So I was interested in how women are talked about by men. And one of the things that I noticed as I started reading these talks was that um, even when talking about women's roles and the ways in which women should um, live or are valued in the church, people were using quotes from prophets. They were using quotes from men. And so one of the things that I, I started paying attention to was this quotation of men to talk about women. And as I got more interested in that, I thought that it could be interesting and powerful to see on a broad scale over time whose voices are being used as authorities in general conference talks and where women fit in that. And so I read 50 years worth of general conference talks to get the kind of data to see how that happens. So it was a lot of work, of course, going through all of yes. those and then cataloging all of those. Tell us a little bit about the statistical element of the, the methodology that you used. Yes. So you might say, but Eliza, computers can do this. And computers can't quite do this because a lot of, I mean, it's hard to scrape the data from the web pages and, and get not everyone's putting things in quotation marks, um, et cetera. But um, so I, I went through and I, I read every talk and I um, have a giant spreadsheet where I have who was quoted, what the words used to introduce the quotation were how long the quotation was, and then where the talk was given and all of this information. And I think that it's really important to do this kind of work where you're seeing how this data actually functions 
how it feels to experience this rhetorical effect, I was excited as I started like doing the statistics and analyzing the data that I'd collected to see that the theories that I'd formed and the kinds of judgments that I'd started to make about the way this was happening really were borne out by the data. And as I was able to look for things that I wouldn't have looked for otherwise, because I was watching, for example, saying, as a sweet sister said to me, quote, if you're just looking at quoting women, you'd be like, oh, they quoted women. But in fact, this is a particular kind of quotation that I think downplays that woman's authority. So you were both doing a statistical analysis and a qualitative analysis of those citations right. as well. So uh, what did you find about the citation of women in the course of your work? Well, if you were to guess how often women are quoted in general conference overall, I think people might say like 10%, 20%. It's about 2% of all quotations come from women. Um, and I think that base rate should surprise us. It should trouble us. Um, and even when you take out quotations from scripture, quotations from church manual, even quotations from male church leaders, you still see that women make up a disproportionately small percentage of quotations given women's representation, even in general conference. Um, and especially given women's representation in the church. Um, the, the thing that was really striking to me was church leaders quote men 16 times for every one time they quote a woman in general conference. So the numbers are really, really small. And while they have grown a little bit, so I think women were around 2.2% of all quotations in the 1970s. Now they're around 2.7% of all quotations. Um, it's not changing as quickly as we might think the culture or general views around women's roles are changing. It's such fascinating uh, a study there to be able to, to track that, because as you note, during this same period, church leaders have been emphasizing the importance of women's voices and including more women in general conferences and so in general conference talks and, and, and so on. So even while women are more present and there's a more emphasis on hearing them, you're finding really almost statistically insignificant rate of increase in quotations in that same period. Is that accurate? Yes. Uh, yeah. So while women are quoted um, statistically significantly more often between 2011 and 2020 than overall, they're not quoted statistically significantly more often between 2016 and 2020 than overall. So it's not as though we are seeing these these massive increases. And I think um, what you just said about the ways in which church leaders are talking about women, it's really important to note that, you know, you might disagree with me on the feminist perspective and thinking that women's underrepresentation is really a problem to be fixed. But this is intention, even with what church leaders are saying about women, they're saying they want women's voices, they're saying they really value women's perspective on spiritual matters, and then they're not doing it. And we see that very clearly in these quotation practices. So you alluded to this already, but what other kinds of rhetoric did you find about how male, lead how male leaders did talk about women when they cited them? Yeah, so I was interested in the ways in which we introduce citations because 
as I think anyone writing a paper or giving a talk knows, when you're delivering this information, you have to tell the reader about the authority of the source. You have to say, you know, so-and-so PhD says, and then that tells the audience that they should take this kind of source seriously. And so it's not just the number of quotations of women, but how those quotes are introduced. And what I found was often those quotes weren't even introduced at all. Um, women weren't given names. They weren't given any kind of authoritative credentials compared with men who were wise or business leaders or even, you know, random bishops, such and such. And so when women's voices were highlighted, they weren't highlighted in this, um, this is the kind of source that you ought to take seriously way. And you can see this if you read these quotations as well. The content is often narrative. So it's not that women are making doctrinal claims that are then quoted, but that they're part of kind of stories, anecdotes that illustrate the doctrinal claims that often men are making. And so what women are saying also isn't in this authoritative mode. So uh, I think that you also um, noted that in many cases, women's appearance was commented on as a part of the introduction of the quotation. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I think it's it's just like a Hollywood movie where the ugly person shows up and you're like, they're the villain. Um, and this is exactly the same in general conference. When a righteous woman shows up, she's beautiful. Um, and so women are often cited this way. They're often described this way. Men are not described as, as handsome. The, um, the quote that I think just really illustrates this so nicely is Gary Stevenson told a story about a beautiful, vibrant young wife and mother who was a soccer player when she met and married her dental student husband. And you just see women being young and beautiful and embodied and it really tracks this kind of objectification of women that we see throughout um discourse on how women's roles play into the broader community and i found that troubling the frequency with which that came but also the frequency with which that came from fellow women that female leaders are also talking about dear precious beautiful women that they encounter um, and so they are not um, talking about women in other kinds of authoritative modes. Yeah, that was one of the really interesting elements of your research is that you then zeroed in to how women speakers cited other women. And what kinds of things did you find there? Yeah, I was really curious to see if women would make kind of a concentrated effort to highlight women's voices and to highlight women's perspectives in their own general conference talks. And I found that to some degree, this is true. Female speakers do quote women more than any other group of speakers. So in the analysis, I focus largely on what the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency have done in the last 50 years. But I also read all of the talks that women have given in general conference, which do not span 50 years because women have not been allowed to speak in general conference for the last 50 years. Um, and leaders from other positions throughout the last five years of conference. 
Um, and so when you compare female leaders who are supposed to have, you know, about the same authoritative status as members of the 70 or members of the Sunday school presidency speaking in general conference, they quote men more than any other group of leaders quotes men. And specifically, they quote the other male authorities on the stand. So we see women, if we think about quotation as authority and as an appeal to authority, we see the female leaders of the church making so much more of that appeal to authority than other groups of women. And they don't then have the authority to highlight and really elevate women's voices um, in their own talks. It's such a fascinating finding. Um, you know, as we're sort of coming to the end here, can you just tell us why it is important that we cite women or that we hear women cited? Yeah, I think that this really gets to the heart of women's experience and status in the church. I think that this question of who we cite is a question of what we're reading, what we're engaging with. Are you seeking out women's voices and perspectives and experiences so that you can then cite them? But it's also this question of who we take seriously and who we think has good advice or helpful information for us to pass on to others. And we see the leaders of the church really in a very broad space of who they think can occupy that role. New York Times columnist David Brooks has been quoted more by apostles than any woman, except for, I think, Emma Smith and Eliza R. Snow. And it's just because Eliza R. Snow wrote so many of our hymns. Um, so it's not that it's just limited to this kind of spiritual authority of members of the church. And so when we think about who we want to elevate and whose voice we want to highlight, we have to both do the work to find those voices and send the signal to the community that we care about those voices and that we think that they're worth listening to. And when we don't do that for women, we not only are contributing to these spaces where women have far fewer opportunities to actually speak, um, but we make what they do say less valuable to members of the community. We're sending that kind of signal. So I encourage, you know, not just the general authorities, but all of us to think about who we're quoting and to do the work to highlight the voices that we really intend to welcome and to affirm as authoritative in our community. Eliza, thank you so much for this fascinating article and for joining us for this great discussion today to learn more about your work and your research. It's been really awesome. Thank you so much. I'm excited. We hope that our listeners have enjoyed this conversation and have learned something new about the citational practices of general conference speakers. If you'd like to learn more, we encourage you to check out Eliza Wells's article, Quoted at the Pulpit, Male Rhetoric and Female Authority in 50 Years of General Conference in the Winter 2022 issue of Dialogue, and to explore other resources on this topic there. To our listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues, and don't forget to leave us a review or get in touch with any comments or questions. We hope that you'll tune in for future episodes of our podcast. 
Thanks again. And check out the whole range of shows in the Dialogue Podcast Network for more things like this. Beyond the Block, part of the Dialogue Podcast Network, is a weekly come-follow-me podcast that centers the marginalized in Mormonism. Join Brother Jones and Brother Knox, a Black Lifelong member and a queer convert theologian, respectively, as they read the scriptures through the lenses of their identities and others in an effort to bring the culture of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints closer and more in line with its theology, which centers Christ's justice and compassion. New episodes every Monday. Dialogue Podcast Network.